The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 28. This is the Mea Culpa edition, and we'll get to why in a couple of minutes. You're at the best place for cigars and Chicago sports. Let me set the scene. We're here at the place. We're here at the Cigars and Sports Studio. The place is at 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. The place is a cigar lounge. It's absolutely unbelievable place. My partner and I, uh, Phil, who I'll I'll bring in in a minute. You know, we watched the Bears game over there today. Had a great time. Ate some food. Watched some games. Smoked some cigars. We would encourage you to come in. The place once again at 5236. Main Street and Downers Grove. It's a great place to hang out, watch a game, great selection of premium cigars. So come join us. You can also follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports. You can also get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you may get your podcast, but you know that because you are listening to a podcast. So as always, I would like to introduce my Technically challenged, but wonderful co-host, Phil Sullivan. Phil, how are you feeling today? Um, what are you smoking? What's going on? What's the update? I'm feeling great. Um, yeah, I had a little slight technical difficulty uh, to get launched today, which uh, puts the score, I think, at about Steve at about five and Phil at about one as far as problems technically. Uh, smoking tonight, I'm enjoying a cigar that uh, my uh co-host and leader here, Steve, um, brought back from a little short trip he took recently. So I'll leave it at that. Not sure if I'm supposed to smoke these types of cigars, but uh, I'm having it and it's uh, wonderful. In case you're wondering, it's a Cuban. So no, he's not smoking a spliff from Compton or something like that. Uh, he is he is smoking a Cuban and uh, that is uh, that's great to hear. So Phil, today, we we watched the Bears game at the place. They lost five thirty two, which is which is obviously is bad that they lost. Um, and unfortunately, I lost two bets on that game. One of them was a live hedge bet at the end when I thought they were going to win. But let's not worry about that. I also want to bring up some good news before I go any further with the Bears. The Packers lost fifteen to nine. Um, to Detroit today. Detroit is probably the worst team in the NFL, and the Packers suffered their fifth straight loss. Aaron Rodgers was terrible, had three picks, looked like some upset child walking off the field. So that was a really great thing that happened. But I mentioned off the top that this was the mea culpa edition. And you know what, Phil? One of the things I think that you have to do, you know, as life goes on and you become more mature is you've got to own your mistakes. And the truth is, I made a mistake. And I'd like to detail that now. On December 25th, I said the following about Justin Fields. This guy stinks! Lori Lightfoot 
is, I'm not even saying would be, because I know she is a better quarterback than Justin Fields. I was wrong. I judged him too soon. I'm not going to tell you that he's the greatest quarterback in the NFL. I don't know what the future is going to hold. But what I do know is today and over the last month since that September 25th episode, a couple episodes ago, Fields today was absolutely stunning. He was 17 for 28, 123 yards, which doesn't necessarily sound that impressive on its face. Three touchdowns, no interceptions, 106.7 passer rating. He also rushed 15 carries for 178 yards and another rushing touchdown. That was the greatest rushing total for any quarterback in the history of the National Football League. The guy was a magician today. He ran on design runs. He ran on scrambles. And basically, if you looked at him, as they started getting deep into the second half, the guy had the confidence and the swag. He was just doing any damn thing he wanted when he decided to run. And it was just so confident. The guy was unbelievable. And I got to give him credit because I judged him too quickly. And we are seeing some really, really fun stuff with Justin Fields right now. Phil, thoughts on your quarterback? Yeah, I thought for a short time there that they had secretly brought in Lamar Jackson and slipped the Fields jersey onto him and brought him on the field. Uh, Yeah, I think, you know, not just how he's improved. And I think you got to give a lot of credit to the coaches. They have turned this guy around. Who knows what these same coaches would have done with, you know, Trubersky or any other quarterback. I'm not sure, but I think we're starting to see this Justin Fields has some superior talent and matched with the coaching changes they've had. I mean, it should show you where Nagy should be in the professional coaching ranks. When you see the turnaround these new coaches have done uh, to Justin Fields, Uh, This kid could be something. I think their biggest challenge is going to be to keep him from getting hurt. Obviously, when quarterbacks run this much, they have a tendency to get hurt. But you mentioned something that helps prevent that is most of his rushing yards today were on design plays, which means there's design blocking to hopefully protect him from getting hurt. So uh, it was a wonderful game to see. It bodes well for the offensive future of the Bears as they start to put the pieces of this puzzle together. Yeah, it was amazing. And by the way, it's not just today. The guy over his last four games, you know, today I mentioned passer rating 106.7. Last week against Dallas, 120. Against New England, which was that turnaround game, you know, 85.2. Against Minnesota, 118.8. He's only had two picks total in the last five weeks. And I agree with you on the coaching situation because this turnaround came on that mini buy after that Washington commander's loss, that horrible Thursday night loss. And that's when they put in the design runs and, you know, the getting him to get rid of the ball quickly. And it has made such a difference in the fact that you have to defend the guy completely differently because it's almost like having 12 guys against 11. You have to defend him as a passer, sort of as a quarterback, but at any given moment, 
the guy can just put the ball down and do any damn thing he wants as, as a runner. So you've got to figure out how to defend that. And, and here's the other crazy thing is that normally you say to yourself, and I think you just mentioned this, that running quarterbacks, you, you know, you get worried about it because they're going to get hit or they're going to get destroyed over time. Think about it, Phil. The guy, since he started doing these design runs, he's not getting hit at all. When he was getting hit, was when he was standing back in the pocket for six, seven, eight, nine seconds and just getting absolutely pounded. He didn't get sacked today. I mean, the guy, you know, is just unbelievable. And, you know, he's very good at running out of bounds when he needs to, to keep himself safe. You know, he's good at sliding. I wish he'd, you know, flatten his head down a little bit more, but he seems to be safer when he's running than when he's standing in the pocket. So, you know, it's really exciting stuff. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for this guy. So let's talk about the game a little bit. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we watched the game at the place, 5236 uh, Main Street, Downers Grove, Illinois. And by the way, the Cuban that Phil is smoking, he did not get at the place because that would not be legal. Here's the reasons they lost. First of all, the the defense sucked, um, you know, and obviously losing their top two defensive players in, uh, you know, in Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith over the last week and a half. And we'll get to that in a minute. Four of the top five tacklers were defensive backs. That's bad. You know, and by the way, the one who wasn't was Jack Sanborn, you know, that guy that like, you know, undrafted free agent guy who he actually played well today. But when you're when your safeties and corners are your top tacklers, that's clearly a problem. What was the breakdown, uh, Steve, on the game as far as rushes for Miami? You know, Miami appeared to throw the ball a lot today. So if you're throwing the ball a lot and you're making completions, of course, those defensive backs are going to be the ones making the tackles. So I'd like to see what the percentage of the rushes were. But, so uh, I um, do agree Miami, with you. With Miami had 302 yards receiving. That's a good point. Miami had 302 yards receiving. Tyreek Hill had another insane game, 143 yards and a touchdown. Jalen Waddell had 85 yards and a touchdown. From a rushing standpoint, Miami rushed for only 77 yards. So you do make a good point, you know, related to that, you know, but still, you know, you would you would hope that the front seven would have done something. I mean, no sacks, two quarterback hits, minimal pressures. But that is a great point, I, and I I appreciate you bringing you know, that up. One thing that, to get just quickly off track on, on, on yeah. the game, game itself breakdown is I want to go on record for today being what I think, just what my gut eye test, and I go back. I hate to use this analogy. No, I don't mind using this analogy. I go back to the Bulls 30 years ago when it took them three years to finally get past the Pistons. But you knew the team they had would eventually do it. And I look at, you know, I had one eye all day in total joy watching that Packer meltdown. And I'm watching as their team melts down. And then I see the emergence of Justin Fields. I don't think it's going to take three years for the Bears to surpass and replace the Packers as the team in this division. I don't think it's going to take that long from what I'm seeing now. And I couldn't have been more overjoyed watching Aaron Rodgers have his five-year-old tantrum meltdown that he's starting to have more and more. And uh, I think this Packer team is quickly going to the bottom of the pile. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And and it's interesting because, you know, you look at records of teams in the NFC, you know, and just meaning, you know, we're in the league overall. The Eagles are 8-0 and the, the friggin' Vikings are 7-1. and But I just, the Vikings just don't strike me as a 7-1 and team. They sort of remind me last year. You know, I know that, uh, you know, Bill Parcells always said, you are what your record says you are. That said, if you remember, the Arizona Cardinals were uh, 10-0 and last year. Things did not go too well for them. So, you know, all due credit to the Vikings. But I just think that based on the cap space that we have for next year and the draft picks that we have, we're going to be in a really good situation. But kind of getting back to the game and why they lost. So there was that block punt where Khalil Herbert completely whiffed on a block. And I went back and looked at that. Um, That was all on him. And then the puncher Gill got blocked, basically unencumbered, scoop and score. There was that absolutely terrible drop by Equinemius St. Brown on the final offensive play of the game, which was just absolutely terrible and would have put him back in there. And I hate to say this, but I always hate complaining about the officials. And it was the weirdest game because there were virtually no penalties until the fourth quarter. And in the fourth quarter, there was that terrible P.I. call on Eddie Jackson where he basically did nothing. There was then the non-intentional grounding call on Tua, which made absolutely no sense. And then the non-call that really impacted the outcome of the game. And again, I hate complaining about, you know, the officials costing you the game. But that play down the field where uh, where Claypool was basically assaulted on a perfect throw by Justin Fields, the, the defender grabbed him around the waist and like pulled him around. I mean, that was a ridiculous non-call. And I promise you that tomorrow the Bears are going to get that official apology from the NFL that happens, you know, once every three or four weeks where they, you know, on a non-call where they say that should have been, you know, that should have been called. That was just terrible. And frankly, very much could have led to a win. And it was a great pass thrown by Fields and really would have capped out an unbelievable effort. Um, but, you know, thoughts on why they lost the game. It wasn't uh, two minutes after the Bears game ended. We switched and saw almost the same scenario in the Bills game, uh, how that game ended with a, you know, long pass that was a clear pass interference at the end of that game too. So, yeah, it's a shame. You know, you mentioned while we were watching the game that, you know, they want more receiving. They want to protect these receivers and make these calls, and then they make them sometimes, and then they're not making them on. I mean, that one at the end of the very that was horrible. That was a horrible call, non-call. Well, all three of them were horrible. It's just that the one at the end was just flat-out egregious because you can't argue that it very well may have affected the outcome of the game. So today, despite the loss, it was a very optimistic day for the future. Fields is getting better. He's getting more confident. Um, you know, Chase Claypool only had um, a couple of catches for 13 yards today, but actually got that, you know, P.I. in the first quarter that led to a touchdown and then really got the P.I. in the fourth quarter. And I don't even know that anybody else would have been in a position to get it. You know, so we'll you know, we'll take that. But I want to get your um, opinion on the recent trades, um, uh, you know, about two weeks ago uh, or less than two weeks ago, the Bears traded Robert Quinn to the Eagles for a fifth, which seems to me to be a little bit, or for a fourth, which, you know, felt like a bit of a no-brainer to me. 
based on, you know, this, you know, based on the fact that, you know, the guy, very highly paid guy, you were probably going to cut him next year anyway. Um, and then this week, a little bit more of a surprise trading Roquan um, to Baltimore for a second, a fifth and a, be- and a veteran backup linebacker, you know, and then uh, getting Claypool. But I guess, first of all, what do you think maybe specifically about the departure of Roquan? You know, one could argue that should they have signed the guy? He certainly is an excellent player. At the time they traded him, he was leading the NFL in tackles. But how do you feel about, uh, you know, Roquan for a second and a fifth? You know, I, I think it's, you know, what, what I take into consideration in the grand scheme of things is it's fairly bold move by a new GM to do this. Agreed. And once again, when you see the emergence of fields now, uh, just through the clear fact of coaching changing, uh, what they've changed for him in the way of coaching, and you look at those moves by a bold moves by a new GM, you look at this cap space, you look at the draft picks they're going to have available to them, uh, maybe finally after 30-plus years of horrible first few-round draft picks consistently by the Bears overall, to see that maybe, maybe they're putting this stuff together, but I, you know, I, I don't mind the moves. You know, I think they were fairly compensated. I don't think Roquan Smith alone was going to take that team to a Super Bowl. They had to do something to, to take, break this team down and start over again. But I thought for a mid season move, they were fairly bold moves for a brand new GM to make. And uh, I'm excited about the future for the Bears now. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think it was a bold move. And, you know, I think that they made the assessment with Roquan that they weren't going to sign him. I'm not sure that they valued him, at least him, at that position for the money that he was going to command because he wants to be the highest paid linebacker in the NFL. And, you know, more power to him if that's what he wants to do. And don't underestimate the fact that it's a scary situation when a guy has no agent and you have no way of basically being rational with him. And that seems like the last guy that you may want to put on the franchise tag. So frankly, I just think that they got rid of a potential, you know, kind of drama like problem in the off season by offloading him. And I think it also made them more comfortable in making this, this trade for Chase Claypool, you know, Claypool, um, a Notre Dame guy, second round pick originally with the Steelers was great as a rookie. He caught, I believe, about 885 yards and um, nine touchdowns. He was really good. You know, he's a very big bodied guy, you know, 6'4", 240, 4'4", speed, you know, go up and get it kind of 50-50 ball guy was, you know, not as good last year and this year. Um, one might argue that from a quarterback standpoint, if you look at the quarterback in the offensive line in Pittsburgh, it's been absolutely you know, horrendous. Roethlisberger was not good at all last year. Then this year you got a combination of Mitch Trubisky and a rookie. So, you know, I feel pretty good about it. You know, the guy certainly looked like a dominant athlete today. And, you know, the guy only had a couple days of practice. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. And if, and if the Bears thought that the free agent market was going to be weak from a receiver standpoint, and they just wanted to make sure that they added somebody else, then I think adding Claypool was a fine choice. We know also that the Packers were after him. So what do you think about the Claypool move? I, I like him. You know, and you know, back to you know a little bit of what we were just saying about Roquan. You know, agent or no agent, Roquan Smith was going to cost the Bears a fortune. Yeah. And it doesn't take too much recent memory to think about, you know, what it did the last time they, you know, gave the house away for one defensive player. And that was in Cleo Mack. And, uh, you know, Cleo Mack didn't take him to a Super Bowl either. 
So, uh, you know, agent or no agent, they were going to have to give there. This guy was going to get paid. And uh, I like the moves. I, I just, like I said, I like the move that this rookie GM made. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the thing with now is that they obviously have just a ridiculous amount of cap space next year. So they could have afforded it, but I also give them credit for, they know what they want to spend money on, you know, probably, you know, a left tackle, probably another receiver if there's one out there. And if you take a look at the front seven of that defense, it's a complete disaster. So they're going to have to figure out, you know, some things there. Um, so yeah, I like the move as well. Phil, let's pivot to baseball for a minute. How do you feel about that? Go ahead. So the White Sox hired a manager. So obviously we're going to get to that, but let's spend a couple minutes talking about the world series. Personally, uh, I, as you know, as soon as the, uh, as soon as the White Sox were eliminated, I really wanted the Astros to win the world series because to me, you know, regardless of the cheating and, you know, say what you want about that. This team is a friggin' dynasty. You know, they've been in the ALCS six six years in a row. You know, they were in the uh, they were in the World Series for the last six years. But frankly, I love Dusty Baker. The guy's been successful everywhere he's been. He was probably less successful with the Cubs than he was anywhere else he's ever been. Never won a World Series. Now he has. And, um, you know, I, I loved it. I know that you and I watched a lot of that series together, even though it was a six game series. I thought it was very entertaining. Uh, I thought the Phillies were a very fun team to watch because they have a lot of power and they've got some swaggy stars over there, which I thought was great. You know, Schwarber's fun to watch, obviously, clearly is, you know, Bryce Harper. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought it was a, I thought it was a fun series. Thoughts? Well, you know, I knew going in, baseball has changed in a lot of ways, but in one key way it hasn't, and uh, pitching wins playoff baseball. And going in, got that Houston pitching staff, you know, they got four relievers that would be the number one reliever on any team. Uh, their, their starting staff, I just knew deep down they would probably in the long haul make the Phillies certainly look like they didn't even belong there. Uh, that pitching was just phenomenal. It came – you know, it, it, it came on strong when it had to. But uh, Phillies, I mean, uh, the Houston pitching's just, uh, I've never seen a staff put together like this staff. And uh, they may have been in the World Series a lot lately. They're going to be in the World Series a lot moving forward. These guys are all signed for quite a while. I think this team's going to be together, and I think they're going to be a team to be reckoned with. And it's a shame they're in the White Sox. Uh, the White Sox are going to have to get past them. Um, but this Houston team's going to be a team to be reckoned with for a little while. Yeah, and for those that did not know Framber Valdez, um, which I know that we did because he he just dominates the White Sox. But for those who did not follow baseball as closely and did not know Framber Valdez, the guy's absolutely unbelievable. Had two great outings in the World Series. Um, you know, Kristen Javier was also just absolutely amazing on that combined no hitter, which I thought was really exciting. You know, um, Verlander was okay, and he you know he kind of battled and you know got that win in uh, in Game Five. Um, but, you know, to me, the amazing thing, the uh, series MVP, Jeremy Pena, who, by the way, I believe both offensively and defensively is a better player than Carlos Correa uh, and cost $701,000 as a rookie shortstop, but who also won a gold glove and had a really good offensive year. That guy's amazing. The, the, the way the number of guys that they have lost and just brought up other younger guys, um, it's just been amazing. I mean, they're just an unbelievable organization and one to be modeled after. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Dusty Baker. I'm happy for the guy just because he's been in the league for so long. 
I don't know if I'm on the same page with you as he's one of the greatest managers of all time. You know, sports has always been measured by titles as far as greatness. Uh, this guy made a couple mistakes, I think, in this World Series. He certainly made some mistakes that cost him, yep. you know, the, the first game. Um, you know, so he's 77 years old and he finally eked out his first title. But he's done well. He's, you know, he's a good manager. There's no doubt about it. He certainly had long, he's had longevity in the league. The players like to play for him. At least this team certainly seems to like they want to play for it. So uh, kudos to him. You know, I'm glad he finally, uh, in the, certainly the twilight of his career, was finally able to put that last trophy on the mantle. So let's go to the White Sox. We have a new manager. His name is Pedro Grafal. Personally, I love the guy. Um, 52 years old, former Royals bench coach, um, was with the Mariners organization for many years, including being the farm director. He's very well thought of everywhere he's been. But let me run through his key qualifications. He's not 77 years old. He's not a drunk. He's never fallen asleep on the bench. He won't intentionally walk guys with a two-strike two count. He won't pinch run his closer, and he won't leave guys in when they are getting bombed so they can hopefully get the win after five innings. And there's a really good chance that he will come out um, awake and sober um, after every game for his media availability and won't be mumbling. Um, so I feel really great about this guy. I love the press conference. I love when he sort of broke down the reason, you know, in terms of preparing for the White Sox being at the Royals. And, you know, you think about it, you know, the Royals and the White Sox face each other 19 times a year. So this guy's seen the White Sox 100 times over the last five years alone. Um, and, and by the way, Grafal was part of the 20. 20- 14 and 2015 Royals World Series teams. They made it to the World Series in 2014, and they actually won the World Series in 2015. Um, but in his preparation, you know, for the White Sox, he talked about how he thought they were a really, really good team when they came out with energy and enthusiasm, and how they were not a good team when they did not have energy. You know, I realize that it's hokey, but I love the whole thing about. Everything they're going to do is going to be about kicking ass at 7.05. But the guy seems like a good, you know, seems like a good communicator, seems like a really good leader, has a good background, speaks Spanish. Um, you know, I thought it, I thought his whole story that he gave in the beginning of the press conference about his about his family and getting back into, you know, on the field, I thought was, you know, really, uh, you know, just a great heartwarming story. So here's the deal. I have no idea whether this guy is going to be good or not but I feel really good about the hire and I'm going to give him every opportunity to fail. Your yeah, thoughts? I, yeah, I'm excited for the guy. I mean, um, you know, you forgot one other thing that probably won't happen is there probably will no be no longer any uh, after game press conferences where he will have his belt undone and his pants unzipped. Yeah, that's a good so, point. Uh, you know, hopefully that habit will be over for the White Sox. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the guy was also – he was the finalist over the last few years, many, several times with teams um, being looked at as a manager and he was passed over every time. So my question is why, um, if he's the new greatest thing since sliced bread, I hope he is. Uh, and I hope he certainly proves himself. He has uh, certainly put in the time and he has put in the work in the major leagues and he's been patient and uh, everything you said about him uh, certainly points in the right direction. This team needs discipline. They need a disciplinarian. Uh, they need to hold uh, uh, guys accountable. 
you know, not only for how they perform, but uh, the way they perform is the way that I want to see a change for the White Sox. Yeah, I just think the whole thing is lackadaisical. And I'll just tell you, when you take a look at this guy and you and this guy came from nowhere and has grinded it out in baseball over the last 30 years, this guy's not going to screw this opportunity up. And if you hear some of the people like Ned Yost and other guys who have worked with him talk about what he's good at, um, you know, and he's he knows baseball really well. He knows analytics really well. I believe that he is going to really collaborate seems like a very, very bright guy. And I believe is going to collaborate with the front office with, you know, with Han and, and Chris Getz and others over there, which is kind of nice because one of the things that we saw just at the end of the year last year was, um, you know, when, uh, when, when, uh, you know, La Russa went on, uh, went on whatever leave that he had to go on there, how, um, you know, it appeared that there was actually communication between um, the the manager and the coaching staff in the front office, which I thought was better. Um, and I just think that this guy will collaborate. And I am really, really looking forward to it. And, you know, they're obviously going to have to make a bunch of changes. I mean, no matter how good the guy is, they're going to have to fix this roster. And that includes more left-handed power. Um, that certainly includes another starting pitcher. They don't have a second baseman. Um, you know, they've got the whole catching situation with Grandal, of which I have an idea related to that that I want to um, talk to you about. Um, but what do you think their priorities are in the offseason? You know, almost everything. Um, you know, they've certainly, you know, if with Abreu being gone, filling in at first base, probably be Vaughn. That would be my guess. Uh, grabbing a right fielder uh, wouldn't uh, is certainly going to be a priority, but uh, you know, back to this new manager, uh, you know, once again, I just hope he brings discipline and accountability to this team. They certainly still have, they got talent in, in a lot of places, but the talent, it, it appears they have talent. Um, you know, you're going to find out pretty quick if that talent is real and see if he can get it out of them and get them to play. Uh, you know, what do you do with a guy like Rondal? You know, I got a thought on that. Yeah, you know what? I'd like to hear it. I think I might have, but I'd like to hear it again. And I I I know our audience would like to hear it. So Grandal is horrible. I get it. Um, But here's what I think I would do. Grandal is owed um, $18 million next year. So what I do is I go around the major leagues and I look at other teams that also have bad contracts, either for one year left or two years left or whatever, and a team that maybe could use a catcher. And I have not done this analysis, but let me give you, and I would trade one bad contract for another, similar to what they did with Kimbrell, where, you know, the Dodgers were overpaying um, AJ Pollock and, you know, they didn't really want him. And obviously that, you know, the, uh, the White Sox screwed up getting um, Kimbrell in the first place, and then they screwed up exercising his option. So they trade him to the Dodgers. You know, we get back Pollock, and he was not a great player. But frankly, you know, the guy's like a decent fourth outfielder. He's good to have on the team. He's a professional player. And that's what I would do. I would find a team that maybe needs a guy who could be potentially, who has who has a terrible contract on their books and needs you know, potentially somebody who could be a DH who's got a left, who's a left-handed bat who maybe could catch 30, 40, 50 games for you. And I would trade someone else's garbage for our garbage. And let me give you an example. The Yankees next year owe Josh Donaldson. And I understand that he's a guy that makes us all sick, 
but Josh, they lost Josh Donaldson 25 million bucks. Josh Donaldson, and by the way, listen to uh, Yankees talk radio. No one wants Josh Donaldson back in any way, shape, or form. He wasn't hitting at the end of the season, but the bottom line is, you know, it's an albatross sort of one-year situation like Grandal. The guy is still a stellar third baseman. The guy's got some power. You know, you could catch lightning in a bottle, and the guy could still have another, you know, good year and hit some home runs for you. And frankly, if they can't find a third baseman, I say put him at third. Have Grafal have the conversation with Mancata that, you know, for his $24 million, he's going to have to play second. And he's going to have to play it well. And then trade your garbage for somebody else's garbage and, and at least get some garbage that might be a better fit. Similar last year, for example, to when the Dodgers made that deadline deal with the Yankees and took Joey Gallo, who, although had power, was hitting like 187. The guy went to the Dodgers and he actually was good. So I think that there is something you can do with Grandal. I know nobody's going to take that contract, but if you took somebody else's shitty contract, Maybe you could get somebody to take what it. What about that in that same vein, then? What about that right field garbage on the north side? Oh, my God. Jason Hayward? Hayward. There you go. <laughs> no. Okay. So so that is a very interesting point, and the Cubs DFA Jason Hayward. But that actually is a good point. Yeah, so you know what? Hey, let's just say that you you know Jason Hayward is terrible. But frankly, at least he plays good defense in right field. You know, I mean, like, I think I'd rather, if you have to have garbage, and ultimately your option is to DFA the garbage anyway, that is a good point. That's the kind of thing that I'm right. talking Jason about. Jason Hayward from the yeah. Cubs. And, and, yeah, so, so that actually. going to have some work there to do that, to clear it up. So I don't no, it's fine. But that's it. But that's actually, that's actually not a bad point. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Take your garbage and trade it for somebody else's garbage that might be a better fit. And frankly, if the other people's garbage don't work out, then just, then, then just, you know, DFA their garbage. So I thought it was an, I think it's, there's something you potentially could do. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they may do. Yeah. I, you know, I think as we mentioned earlier in this program, I think after you saw today's, emergence after three weeks of Justin Fields, I think the Bears are on a fast track in dominance of this division because I think the Packers are going in the wrong direction. I think the Lions are still years away, and the Vikings are just the Vikings. And I think the White Sox could possibly, possibly do the same thing because they had a lot of decent pieces to the puzzle. Um, maybe this new leadership, maybe this new manager can do the same thing to them that what appears to be emerging with the Bears, with the new people. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same. I think it's different but similar um, in certain ways, you know, But they, and they need another starting pitcher. Um, you know, Johnny Cueto is gone. They're obviously getting Crochet back next year. So, you know, you potentially could use him either in the rotation or in the bullpen. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not sure about that, but they definitely have some work to do, um, you know, from, from a, player standpoint and you know i am optimistic that they will do that um and at least they won this week with the new manager so phil um episode 28 cigars and sports chicago in the books um thanks for being here it took a little bit to get started i'm gonna go watch some football Bosses blooming, that's all they're doing, I don't care. So let me 